From the Diocese of Gallup, this is Season 2 of CrozierCast with Bishop Wall. I'm Suzanne Hammonds, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Gallup. So this season, we kind of wanted to start off a little different because our last season ended with an interview with Mitchell Brown, who was one of our seminarians and then newly ordained a priest. And then, as I'm sure you're all aware, uh, quite a bit happened in the church, uh, most of it pretty serious with the grand jury report in Pennsylvania and the news about uh, Cardinal McCarrick, now Archbishop McCarrick, um, the bishops in the United States, some of them, um, and not even the world, um, a few of them allegedly covering up abuse or even themselves being alleged to be complicit in abuse. And then, uh, you know, Bishop Wall and the bishops of the United States had national meetings in November, and there was news about the Vatican stepping in. And so, There's so much going on that we wanted to take a minute with the first episode to sort of address a little bit and kind of move the focus in the second season to things that are happening in the church that are, you know, positive. Um, Not to ignore the things that are bad, but to sort of focus on the people trying to make it better, that are working to make it better, um, to fix things, to move forward for the ones that are, you know, despite day-to-day bad news or the actions of some in the church that are just, you know, absolutely evil, you you still have people in the church that are doing their best to live up to the gospel message. And so without ignoring all the bad things that are happening, you know, we are we do want to address that, but also to focus on, you know, how do we as a church move forward? How can we, you know, what can we in our everyday lives do? Because it does feel helpless sometimes. And, you know, especially as lay people, what can we do when we hear about these things that have happened or are still happening in the church? So that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit in this second season. And, I mean, at all times we encourage people, if you have comments or concerns or questions or you know, any feedback, even criticism, please, we want to hear from you because the church needs all of us working to fix things, to make things right, to live up to the gospel messages Christ calls us to. So here's our first episode, and we're going to be talking about uh, everything that happened with the bishops meeting in November. There have been a lot of news articles on it, but to to sort of get an insider's perspective from Bishop Wall. And then um, in episodes after this, we'll be looking at people that are still putting in the work every day, who are still doing their best to be good, faithful Catholics, I mean, whether they get lots of recognition or not. And so I hope it's an example to all of us, to Bishop Wall, to me, to all of you listening, is to what we can do to make the church something that we're all proud of, you know, to fix it and move on from this. So please enjoy the second season of CrozierCast. All right. So why don't we start off with, um, this is the first episode of the second season of CrozierCast. And we sort of wanted to, uh, with everything happening in the church and all the the traveling that you did, we wanted to take a break for a while. And for the second season, we're refocusing a little bit on things that are happening in the church, both uh, good and bad, I guess. Mostly we want to focus on the the good that people are doing, but especially we wanted to start off this second episode, or the second season, first episode, with a little bit of a recap of the USCCB meeting, because you, you were on a couple of... Uh, podcasts like the Catholic News Agency had a podcast, and we can link that in our show notes. But what was did a couple interviews? I think with did a couple with Relevant Radio, one with uh, Morning Air, 
And then also I called in to a Patrick Madrid show, which I think is their, their most listened to show. Yeah. I called in and, and Patrick was able to ask me questions during the meeting why things were still going on. I stepped off the floor to take that. So do you want to give a little bit of a, a recap maybe for, I mean, the big, the big idea was that this meeting they were going to talk about uh, a few different ideas that they had for instituting, um, I guess, if an allegation would come up against a bishop, they would have, there would be certain for, uh, reforms that they, or not reforms, there'd be certain protocols that they would take, similar to how back in the t 2002 they implemented the Dallas Charter for priests. Sure, sure. So I, I guess one of the things that, if we look back in 2002, um, there was one bishop, I remember it was Bishop Curtis, Eldon Curtis, who's now uh, the emeritus in uh, Omaha, and he made a pretty strong statement that I think many priests were thinking about back then. He said, well, the last time I checked, clergy include deacons, priests, and bishops. And for some reason, um, at least in terms of accountability, there wasn't a great sense of accountability on the part of the bishops. So I was a priest. I was ordained four years back then. And I know myself and many of my, my priest friends, were we were thinking the very same thing. And so I think in 2002, it was more the focus was on priests. I think 2018, more the focus is on bishops, and I think rightly so, uh, because of many of the things that have, have transpired. We look at somebody like uh, Theodore McCarrick, Archbishop McCarrick, who um, is now, I believe, I believe he's been assigned to a life of prayer penance, or if he hasn't, he's, he's living, living somewhat of that life. And, um, it, you know, the news came out this summer about uh, there are accusations, uh, credible accusations, concerning abuse of minors, and which are just tragic, sad, and should never happen. And and so that came out. And then when that also came out, uh, there's some of the stories that had already been on the, the, the web for years, some of the stories about um, some of his predatory behavior towards seminarians, uh, young men, adults, um, had been had been known, and for some reason he had kind of moved, quote unquote, to move up the ranks. You know, he'd gone from one diocese in New Jersey to another, or to an archdiocese in New Jersey, to uh, the archbishop in Washington D.C., our, our nation's capital, and then and then being made a cardinal too. And um, as it as it appears, many of this stuff, much of this stuff, was known concerning adults, concerning the seminarians. And so the question was, how did this happen? How did this, um, you know, so to so either slip through the cracks, or how was this known? And then, and then he was advanced. How he was advanced, which is just really, really sad. So that was a, the first thing that happened. And then the second thing that happened was the release of the grand jury report in Pennsylvania, and that happened in I think somewhere around the earlier middle part of of uh, August. And, you know, many of the, the things that were released in that were, many, much of it was pre-charter 2002, but much of the things that we saw in there were just absolutely horrific, yeah. t terrifying, horrific. So you had that, and then you fast forward about two more weeks, and then we have the letter, and then a series of letters from our, the former apostolic uh, nuncio to the United States, Archbishop uh, Carlo Viganò. And with with some uh, uh, pretty scathing accusations, and and so I think in all of these things, 
you know, what was the church wanting to do? And I, and I believe what the church was wanting to do and needed to do is that all things have to be brought into the light. Um, we talk about transparency, and I think that's a good term, but I think scripturally we look at all things must be brought in the light. Anything that is dark in darkness, anything that is hidden, has to be made known and has to be brought into the light. And the light that we bring it into is the light of the gospel. And uh, I think that's what we were trying to do, and I think that's what we hope to do. And I think that many of the faithful were hoping that we would do that. Many survivors of sexual abuse were hoping that we would do that. I, I talked to a number of them that that were hopeful of this meeting. And then on Monday, we had planned a day of prayer, I think a day of penance, and um, six and a half hours of Eucharistic adoration, um, Lectio Divina, and then also we had uh, just two powerful, courageous witnesses on the part of two survivors of sexual abuse, a, a man and a woman. And they're right before the Blessed Sacrament. These are people who just not only courageous, but, but very, very faithful, faithful Catholics. And so that, that was the day that was planned, and that's the day that, took, uh, that, that happened. But at the very beginning, um, the president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, uh, Cardinal DiNardo from Galveston, Houston, uh, shared with us the news that came from the Vatican that we were not to uh, advance or vote on any, any sort of things concerning this which was really sad. I mean, sad. I think, you know, people were um, discouraged. I think there was, people were angry. You know, I had all three of those emotions going on. And um, it just, yeah, it was real disheartening, very, very disheartening. And like I've said a number of times, it literally sucked the air out of the room. Now, I don't know if we had bishops there that were happy with that decision, but I wasn't happy with that decision. And because this is my diocese and this is my podcast, I can say that. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what happened. It's still still kind of struggling with with all of this and how it is that we're gonna we're going to move forward. So the the reason I guess that was given was that they said there's going to be some kind of a, a worldwide meeting. I think in in February or March, right in the spring in the Vatican. And so I guess the idea was we're going to wait until we get to that point. So. I mean, I don't know if it, let's let's talk about first. What do you hope happens then? I mean, we, we can we can talk all day about all the everything bad that happened, but maybe looking sure. forward, what does what do you hope happens at the the spring meeting? Okay, so um, there's two things that are going to take place. One is in January, the bishops of the United States are going to come together at Mundelein Seminary, and we're going to have a retreat together. Now, the, the six and a half hours that we had together in the Eucharistic Adoration, I think, was the most productive time that we've had in my almost 10 years as a bishop. I really do. I don't think we do that enough. I think we really have to be men of prayer first. But the um, we're going to—the uh, Holy Father just wants us to come together, and the papal household preacher, uh, Father Cantala Mesa, is going to come and give us all a retreat. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that would be great. I'm not looking forward to exchanging Tucson in January for uh, Chicago in January, but it will be a, a, a little sacrifice I need to make in order to be with the brothers and hear Father Canta La Mesa. And then in February, our Holy Father's calling together all the, the heads of the particular conferences throughout the world. And so I believe for us that will be Cardinal DiNardo, who's our president, and Archbishop 
uh, Gomez from Los Angeles, who's our vice president. I don't know if there will be other leadership that we've elected that will be a part of that, but I, I think they're coming together in, in order to, you know, tackle this problem, this crisis, this situation, this real scourge that's in the church. I mean, these, these, this has to be eradicated. So I'm hoping that that, um, the same hope, I guess, that I had going into our meeting in November, I, I have that hope that, um, that they'll address this and address it in the proper manner. Um, you know, we can, as, as individual bishops, we can, you know, we can only do so much in our own diocese, but we're really striving, I think we're striving and working hard to make sure that, that people are being protected, that survivors are offered healing, that we are um, really striving to proclaim and announce the good news. But as you know, and we all know, there's always, always room for improvement. So kind of going off of that, I guess the question I've seen a lot is, could, is there something that bishops can do either as a, as a body or locally in their own diocese, um, despite the, you know, the, the, the fact that they put this stop, the hold on the meeting, is there anything that you can do independently to sort of help with reform? Well, I think it starts with the, the bishop's own personal pursuit of holiness. As, as you know, Bishop Strickland in Tyler, Texas, and I think Bishop Carey in, in, in Oregon said as well, and a number of bishops say, you know, it's, it's all about the salvation of souls. You know, as John Bosco said, you know, give me souls, take away the rest. And it's all about the salvation of souls. And, and the, the first soul that we start with is our own. So we pursue personal holiness. And how do we pursue holiness? By, by pursuing God, because God who alone is holy is the one that makes us holy. So I think that's, it has to start with the individual bishop. Secondly, is, is to set that example and lead our people into um, a deeper relationship with Christ and his church and encourage them also to per, pursue holiness. So I think it, it starts with that. That's, that's key. Second, I think that um, all things have to be brought into the light. I think that we need to make sure that our policies, procedures, all those things are in place and that we're following them. I believe that, you know, in any diocese, if there is ever a crime that's committed, um, it's, it's not the job or the duty of the diocese uh, or the bishop um, to handle it first. It's the job or the duty of uh, local authorities, the proper authorities, to handle it first. And I think, in the, you know, if we look in the past, that's one of the ways that um, we've failed is, is, is either trying to handle it in-house or you know, just hoping that it would go away. And I think that's one of the ways that we failed. And you know, we hear, you know, instances where uh, maybe a priest was an, an abuser, or in this case, you know, a, a cardinal was an abuser. And um, either people looked the other way, um, people hoped that it would go away. Uh, back in the day, you know, the, the medical community would say, "Well, this is something that can be cured." And, um, and then you can put the person back into ministry. But we know that's not true now. They just continue to, to abuse over and over and over and really destroy and wreck uh, a lot of people's lives. So I think those, you know, starting, the first point has to start with the bishop, his own pursuit of holiness and encouraging his people to pursue holiness as well. What about, um, I think a lot of what we've seen with this latest crisis is now it's especially with the recent all the recent you know me too movement revelations and everything is we've also seen an abuse of power between 
adults. So you'll be like a, someone who preys on seminarians or maybe a parishioner. So what do you think should be done to address, you know, if there's uh, something, instances of abuse at seminaries or behavior, how do we nip that, how do we stop that there and then stop this from, from forming not just, I mean, of course, you know, child abuse is, is awful, but we're also seeing, I think, the abuse of, of other adults, you know, an abuse of power in that way. Sure. When I was in the seminary in the 1990s, this was a big topic. So this isn't a topic that's new to us today because of the whole hashtag uh, MeToo movement. But this was a big topic for us, and we actually discussed this, where we talked about levels of power. And that was stressed to us that when you become ordained and you are placed in a parish as a parochial vicar or as a pastor or somebody who works in the chancery, whatever it is, you know, the people who come to you, there's a, there's a difference in power. And whether that's good or bad, it's a reality that's there. And so I think, first of all, we just have to acknowledge that. And then second of all, we have to see, you know, was those levels of power, were they used um, in order to, um, you, know, you know, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, uh, whatever the case is. And again, you have to go back to the, the, the first principle. If, if a crime has been committed, report the crime. Um, it's a little different with an adult because you want to encourage the adult to report the crime. And, um, and so that, that's why I said it's a, it's a little different in that way. But I think one of the things is we're, we're kind of pulling back the veil on, on society. And it's, it's um, you know, it's a, it's a sexually charged society. Uh, it's a society where, you know, sexually anything goes. And I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. Well, I want to say I'm not surprised. But I think that it's, it's interesting that this all has come to light in the 50th anniversary of the, the beautiful encyclical Humana Vitae, which we talked about in season one. I feel like we have a, you know, like a Netflix series, but in season one, we talked about it quite a bit, and I spoke on it a number of times. But, you know, Pope Paul VI, our new saint, Pope St. Saint Paul VI, you know, he gave us that beautiful document back in uh, 1968 that talked about the gift and the transmission of human life, but it also teaches us the, the proper way uh, for the gift of sexuality, the gift for it to be used. And it only can be used properly with between a husband and a wife, freely giving of themselves, and always he's open to the gift of life. Anything that falls short of that or anything that's different, different from that is a sin, and we're not made for sin. No matter what people might try to say, no matter what different you know parts of society or culture might try to, to put out there, we're not made for sin. And so the gift of sexuality is is to preserve be preserved only between husband and wife, conjugal act, always being open to the gift of life. And um, and I think we've we've seen that over and over again. Uh, Pope Saint John Paul II said. Uh, that any time, and I, I learned this from one of our priests, our vicar, vicar general, Father Peter Short, Pope St. John Paul II said in his theology of the body that any time uh, the human person uses the gift of sexuality um, outside of what I just spoke about, he says that we're lying with our body because we're not made for that, right? It's sinful. We're not made for sin. And so I think it's amazing that this this is coming out right now. And unfortunately, there's been many of our churches kind of 
um, so to speak, drank the Kool-Aid and, uh, and, and really not been proponents of what the church truly teaches on the gift of uh, human sexuality. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, that's, those are all good points. Is there, I also think it's a little unfair. I heard a lot of people saying something like, you know, the whole bishop's meeting was pointless, but I mean, there was no way, it, it sounded like it as a last minute announcement that you all had no idea this was coming. But do you think that even though it was frustrating that you weren't able to vote on those those action items, um, was there anything that happened at any point in the conference that kind of gave you something to hope for? Today? Sure. So the day before we were all in prayer, to have all the bishops sitting there before our Eucharistic King, for our Lord, presence of the Blessed Sacrament, to conclude the day with prayer, um, that gave me hope. You know, we're always supposed to be prepared to give a witness for the hope that is within us. And what is that hope? That hope is the presence of Christ. And so that, that was very hopeful. But the next morning, uh, some, of the, the, um, some of the words that came from the brothers on the floor were, were very, very powerful. Um, I think of you know, some of I already mentioned, Bishop Joe Strickland, uh, just a real champion right now. Um, Bishop Liam Carey uh, from Baker. Um, I, I was really inspired by some of the words that they had to say. I remember Bishop Olmsted got up and, and had some just powerful things to say. And he was the one that uh, gave that deep insight on Humanae Vitae. A number of other bishops had, had said that too. So there were some very, very hopeful things uh, that happened that next morning on the floor. And I think bishops were speaking honestly with one another. Um, I think sometimes we get up and it's a bit, you know, kind of pleasantries and um, we know the cameras are rolling and we really work at collegiality, and in, collegiality is good, but we also need to, to think about uh, things such as fraternal correction. And I think there was a bit of fraternal correction going on. And if we think about you know fraternal, beginning of the word is frater, meaning brother. And so you really can only do fraternal correction if you were first brother with someone, brother or sister. Uh, but amongst the bishops, a brother was someone. And I... Yeah, I was I was inspired. I mean, I had to do a bit of soul searching, listening to some of my brothers and some of the things that they had to say. You know, the the whole notion of it's it's all about the the, the salvation of souls, and uh, and that made me think: you know, is is this my number one goal? Is this what I'm doing? And um, so it, it's caused me a lot of soul searching as well. So I think that was that was very hopeful. I don't think it was as some people said it was it was. It was a waste of time and waste of money. I think it was a turning point for the conference. Yeah. So is there anything uh, that you'd like to um, address? This is sort of our first podcast since all of this happened back in August, which feels like a lifetime ago. Is there anything that you'd like to address to the people specifically of our diocese? Sure. I, I think, um, as the scriptures say, you know, certain demons, certain things can only be driven out through prayer and penance. Those are our Lord's words, those aren't my words. And I think this is a real scourge on society. And I think it's, it's, it's wrecked lives, it's ruined lives. But to also remember, you know, um, Jesus Christ came into the world to save, to heal, and nothing is beyond the reach of his healing. So um, to not lose hope, don't get discouraged, don't fall into despair but always place your hope in the person who has the power to save, the one that can, can truly offer to us healing. 
So in that case, I think that's very important, especially for survivors of sexual abuse, whether at the hands of uh, church workers or, or non-church workers. I think that's, that's really important. Then also to, to pray and to fast, to pray and to fast. Only, you know, this is the only way to drive out certain demons. And these, this is, these are horrific. So in our, in our diocese, we've uh, implemented praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel at the end of each Mass, not just Sundays, but the end of each Mass. And part of that is to defend us against this sin, to drive out this sin, uh, to drive out the, the, the demons that seek about the ruin of souls. Because I said what it's about. It's about the salvation of souls. So don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Uh, continue to pray. Continue to fast. Place your hope in the one who has the power to save our Lord. All right. Any final thoughts? Okay. Well, I'm excited. We're we're starting our second season. Like again, I said, I feel like we're on uh, Netflix or something like that. Season two. Um, I hope that uh, many people were uh, waiting and anticip- anticipating season two, like uh, we do with some of our our seasons. Some of the uh, the Marvel things on uh, Netflix, which I'm pretty sad about. They're little by little canceling, or uh, Stranger Things, or whatever the the next season that uh, that uh, people are looking forward to. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully we didn't disappoint, and the word starts getting around that season two is better than season <laughs> one. Great. All right. Thank you, as always, Bishop Wall. Thanks. God bless. This has been Crozier Cast from the Diocese of Gallup with your host, Bishop James Wall. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a few moments, it would help us out greatly if you leave a review on iTunes. You can just do a, a star rating or, you know, write a couple of quick words, but that's really the way that iTunes helps to promote podcasts. Uh, the more reviews there are, the more likely it is that people will find us and see us and listen to us. So that would uh, that would be greatly appreciated. You can find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud. You can find us on uh, Facebook at Diocese of Gallup, Twitter, and at our website, dioceseofgallup.org, or find all, this episode and all previous episodes with the show notes at voiceofthesouthwest.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.